pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for having us, and again, thanks for your patience. I bet everyone's actually wondering what um, me and Andy Good are doing sat here with two rugby legends. Well, uh, we just heard a mention there. We heard a mention there that uh, we're actually involved in a, a rugby pod podcast that has um, nearly broken the internet. So if you guys can't hear us at the back, I don't know how many people have heard the rugby pod podcast. Um, but yeah, I think me and Goody about. Who has actually heard the rugby pod? Podcast? <laughs> okay, there's a yeah. The, oh, there's a few. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Hands up. Hands up. Exactly. Uh, but before we introduce our two amazing guests, uh, we were told just to intro ourselves in case anyone doesn't know who we are. So I'm Jim Hamilton, um, the Scottish legend, or um, <laughs> as we know, born in uh, the capital of Scotland of Coventry. Uh, yeah. To a Chinese mother, so my father says, and a Scottish father, so my mother says, and that is the gospel truth. Um, I'm currently still playing rugby for Saracens. I don't know if you've heard of them. We're the current double champions uh, at the minute. There's no, no big there. And I'm as surprised as you that I'm still playing. But um, had a few clubs along the way. Played for Leicester, did a stint at Montpellier. Um, Body gloss. And Gloucester as well. I was about to say that Captain Gloucester was good enough to do that. And 63 caps for Scotland. Didn't win many games, I'll be honest. Actually got more yellow cards than I did winning games. So that's what I'm more known for. Um, but yeah, we're actually, you know, we're privileged to be here. I think Goody wants to intro himself as well. Um, uh, you might not recognise him. He's slightly, well, maybe not as big as... Okay, so you know how to do so. Cheers, Jim. Um, so how many, win, how many wins did you get for Scotland? Um, I think I won... Three. Three. Beat Romania, beat Romania and Georgia twice. <laughs> beat Ireland twice as well. Yeah. There we go. Obviously, uh, yeah, pleasure to be here as well. Um, I've known these two guys to my right for a, a long, long time. Uh, for the, those of you that don't know, yes, I have had my hair done. Just thank you out there that need it doing as well. <laughs> I can sort you out, honestly. Actually, you're way too far gone. So you're <laughs> No, I played, uh, I played for England only 17 times. Uh, very lucky to do that because I was um, pretty shit, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and when, everyone, when, when most people are upset that Johnny was injured, I was cheering because that's when I got picked. So, uh, uh, delighted to be here. Obviously, going to intro uh, to Absolute Legends. There's uh, a little rugby tournament around the corner in terms of uh, the British Lions coming up. Obviously, Jim and I weren't that good, so we never made it. We're lucky enough to hear, have uh, a couple of guys that have played many times for the Lions. So, um, without further ado, Will Greenwood. Hey. So, it's good times. I, like you two, according as far too aesthetically pleasing. I also had a sort of face for radio that would simply accumulate nicknames. There's an older generation in the crowd, so Russ Abbott is one. <laughs> a few times. Uh, Anton de Beck, most recently. Uh, Shaggy, the cartoon character, in the first 10 years. I'm in the career, but there aren't any works from here. They gave me my favourite name in the World Cup quarter final in 2003 when they were absolutely battering us in that first half. Colin Chavez nicking the ball at every breakdown. Stephen Jones kicking the corner. Shane Williams, we knew he was out there because he was in the programme. We couldn't see him, we couldn't catch him. <laughs> we walked off at half time, absolutely looked up. Ponchy pull flag, all I can hear is, Wee! Daffodils and Dixie, but we square in the eye. 
Once you've got eye contact, you can't back down. You back down, you go around the valleys, and you back down. Greenwood couldn't take it. Got to go strong. I knew I'd be all right. Though. The valley would be behind me. Five kicks off and right wing behind the big guy. And in unison, the four lads from Punch Bull lean over and go, Rodney Trotter, you fucking shit. You Good evening. To be fair, he was practicing it all day. <laughs> Unfortunately, most people look at me from behind and go, oh my god, that's Brian Driscoll. Then I turn around and they go, oh fuck. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> so, obviously, um, you know, massive game this weekend with England playing Ireland. Sorry, England going to beat Ireland, um, is what I meant to say. Um, you know, Six Nations so far has been brilliant. Obviously, England have won it. Have we got any other Irish, have we got Irish or Scots or Welsh people in the room? No, no. Unlucky. Um, guys, obviously, huge game. You two have played against each other quite a few times. Um, give us a, a few thoughts on Ireland so far and sum up the Six Nations for us and uh, tell us how impressed you are with England's 18 match win and run. I really am glad we're, we're setting out the uh, <laughs> we're taking our colours to the flag uh, nice and early. Uh, just to point out, by the way, Andy Good is the only person drinking uh, blackcurrant in his Guinness. Absolutely worse. I preferred you with longer hair, even if it was. Yeah, it's much more sculpted. It had a character. Um, Jeez, you know, the Six Nations has been exactly what we thought it would be coming into it, I think, with the, the well, finally the refereeing of a high tackle, the bonus points, all those things coming in, with Scotland under Vern Carter doing exceptionally well up until, obviously, the uh, there's been some a steward's inquiry into the betting around the, uh, the England-Scotland game. Um, it's been it has been a really really great tournament and a really good team is going to finish fifth a really good team is going to finish fourth unfortunately italy are you know uh, lagging this a, a little bit from uh, i suppose uniquely from, not uniquely but from uh, from the irish point of view um probably a little bit further along the developmental curve than say scotland are and Scotland didn't catch Ireland cold. They just played better than Ireland on the day, and they deserved that win. Ireland fought back into that match to win it, and then gave away silly penalties, and they lost. And they had one opportunity to beat, to sorry, to score a try against uh, against a Welsh team who were emotionally coming back into it, or sorry, emotionally I suppose stunned after the the previous couple of results, and just failed to convert. And and that's and that's sport, you know, you. Your time horizon on you look at say Irish rugby over the past you know fifteen years and you go what an, what an incredible uh, era in Irish rugby but if you look at it in you know three or four games which is silly to do but you would say Irish team aren't doing very very well but they have one opportunity at this uh, at, on Saturday to I suppose finish on a high. So obviously going back to the Wales game on Friday night, <clears throat> you basically caught out Robbie Henshaw saying he fucked up and. He's now playing, he's playing the position you played for years. So it's his fault? Or? No, we wouldn't have actually had that attacking line out if he hadn't put in an inch-perfect uh, grubber kick. Nothing on. It was a 3v2 in Wales' favour, and he put in an inch-perfect uh, grubber kick to put in. Simon Zebo chased it up, got Lee Halfpenny into touch. There was question marks whether his foot was 
which side of the actual corner flag. Um, and just silly things happen when backs try to go to rooks and balls. Like, let's just be simple like that. Balls are for big mutes, like, uh, I think that was Martin Bayfield uh, when we came in athletes. first, but unfortunately, athletes. for athletes, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> we might put that to a vote at the end of it, but balls are for, for lads with no skill, and Robert has plenty of, plenty of, plenty of skills. So I think he's just learned his lesson. Stay out there, end people in tackles, put in good passes, put in good breaks, and, uh, but like, listen, you know, if, it, 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 it was an unfortunate end to a good piece of play. And Will, with England, I hate, I hate, I hate talking about England, I'm Scottish, so apologies for that. But there's been a lot of comparisons to the 2003 World Cup winning team of your good self and the, the current crop of players, 18 win streak, obviously a slightly different era. Would you agree? Would you see any, any comparisons? I always think it's difficult to, to compare players. I, I got asked a question um, earlier in the week how many of this lot would get into 2003? And I said, none of them. And I said, but ask any of this lot, how many of our lot would get into their team? And every single one of them would say none of them. Because they're creating their own folklore and their own history, and you do that with the people you've sweated with, you've bled with, you've had injuries, you've seen, you've come through tough times, with tough World Cups, with, you come out the other side. So the, the simple answer to the question, no, has you all stunned, saying how, they're all great, or vice versa, how can no one get in? Because it's about partnerships, it's about relationships, it's about bonds that allow you to stand in a changing room before a game. And yeah, you might get beat, but if you'd offered anyone from outside of that changing room for someone in that changing room, you wouldn't twist. You'd, you'd stick with what you've got, and that's where they are right now. They've got an incredible bond. And they'll need to be, because we saw with Wales um, the desperation with which they defended against Ireland, because uh, not only was Alliance Tour place potentially being taken out of their grasp, but they only had two home games in the Six Nations. You can't lose both of them. Uh, Ireland are now, uh, have got, I had them taking 13 or 14 Lions in a squad of 38-40 absolute quality side on the back of one defeat a couple step into the question mark category they lose another at home four step four or five step into the question mark category they'll still take a lot of lions but there'll be those fringe guys who had that sort of midweek slot nailed down and so they will be full of desperation full of desperation and i've lost there and it was like being put in a washing machine on a spin cycle. She didn't know where they were. It was like playing 45 of them. Didn't know where they were coming from. Ball goes, they're the nicest people in the world in Yolanda Ireland. They're the most respectful supporters. They welcome you. They're, they'll recognise the England players on the street in Dublin on Friday. They'll tell them how well they're playing. And then every single member in the crowd, every single player in green will kick the living bejesus out of you <laughs> in the opening minutes. And you've got to be able to stand and take the onslaught because it's coming. And I think it's a magnificent test test match on Saturday. Even though the championship's gone, there's no triple crown at Brian. It's one of those games where you've got to be at that stadium. It will be a magnificent game. And anyone thinking England are going to walk to 19 has watched absolutely no rugby in 2016 and some of the quality that these guys have produced and they'll be lying in wait for, for Eddie's team, no doubt about it, it'll be uh, very, very special. Obviously, uh, going back to the weekend, 
I can't remember what the score was, Jim. Was it England 61, Scotland 21? Um, obviously, we've got, <laughs> we've got, we've got a, plastic, a plastic Scott here next to me. Um, we had a little bet before the game, actually, um, talking about on our podcast last Friday the forfeit for losing, whichever team lost, obviously, I backed England, Jim backed Scotland, uh, was to get a tattoo. Either I get a tattoo of a thistle. Or Jim gets a tattoo of a rose. Now, um, I'm going to question you. I think you've already got one, haven't you, being English? No. No, good. No. Get we, your we actually made a bet before that if Scotland would win, you would shave your hair, and vice versa. And you, refu- you refused no, to take the, the bet. Let's get the so, but I was a little bit disappointed with Scotland, to be honest with you. Because I genuinely thought, I didn't just say, I did, I did the ITV punditry stuff for the first time. And so I had to have a balanced approach. And I genuinely thought Scotland off the back of the performances against Ireland and Wales, could have won the game. And we spoke about it seriously. We obviously jested about it on the podcast as well. But I thought it was a little bit of an embarrassment on, on Saturday, to be fair. Um, put a few things into context. Fraser Brown, uh, who, who got off with a band today, which I was quite surprised. You, you might want to touch on that, guys. Um, you know, Elliot, Elliot Daly had to go, go off, went off with a broken nose as well. Um, so 13 and, and some points off the back of that and then Scotland losing probably our best player Stuart Hogg um, I think it's with the, the worst game as well off the back of some amazing performances by Finn Russell I think that's the worst performance I've seen in the Scotland jersey Finn, they just seem to have imploded and they went back so far from where they actually were um, and I'd say that it, going into the game is probably the first time I've seen I wouldn't say an air of arrogance maybe a strong confidence that maybe they should have stemmed slightly um, but they'll go back to the drawing board. Look, if they beat Italy, I don't know the full permutations, but if they beat Italy with a bonus point, the results go go the way they finish second, which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it, having a 60-point drumming at the weekend. So I think Scotland are in a very good place. They've got some class players, um, but they are slightly behind Ireland. They're, they're a long way behind England and Wales. Good? Yeah. 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 So in answer to your question, no, I won't be getting a tattoo, but we can have another bet at the weekend. We saw you the Scotland, and the... Because they've been watching Scotland, obviously they had a couple of wins in the big win in the 2015 World Cup, and November was a, an almost moment for them. And you can see that Murray Hodder was building something, but their first three games like couldn't have gone any better for them. But an upward trend in rugby is very, very linear. There is always a, a, a comeback to keep going forward. And I think that just unfortunately was the. Uh, was the Scottish, that was what's happened in Scotland against England, they just, they just fell apart. They couldn't put those four games together in, 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 the, in the tournament. Their strength and depth is being tested, their resources. It was really tested in Paris, had they got better strength and depth, could they have been able to withstand? Because France completely changed their tactic 15 minutes ago, they just unloaded the heavies and just went back to tight and they just steamrolled. France, they mauled them for uh, Scotland, they mauled them for 20 metres and they just then started taking goals, they started p- taking points. Had Scotland a bit more resources on the bench, they could have had a different result in that game. But I just think there was that was one game too many and maybe you're right, they were believing a little bit of, of well, this, this, could be, this could be something special, but they're a little bit too early in the stage of this journey to be looking to beat England in Twitter. Like, let's not. Let's um, as much as it pains me to say it, um, it is. It's uh, that is a rarity. England have an incredible home record. Yeah, I, I think as Scottish fans, it's always difficult as an Englishman who supports a team that's just a considerable score. In you. I'm hoping the Scottish fans don't turn on the Scottish players on the back of 
on the back of that result. I hope they do, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between me and Will. He's a nice guy, I'm not. <laughs> they are, I think Cotter's got them to a stage where their performances are greater than the sum of their parts. And then every now and again when that happens, it means you can't go to the emotional well. You can't find a way to empty the tank each week. Every Saturday, every Saturday. So I wrote a piece about, I think about five years ago and offended a great friend of mine, Max Evans. Uh, a, a young Scottish friend at the time, when I wrote, Scottish fans just have to get, they've got two professional teams. Um, a lot of their players don't play in Scotland, so they're not centrally contracted. So Sean Maitland, for example, would have played in the last couple of games, but he went back to Saracens because they don't have an arrangement such that they have to be rested. Got injured, so you've lost another of your players. Five minutes into the game, you've got no hold. Bennett comes on, fantastic player, won a silver medal with the sevens, awesome outside centre. You've got no problem with him covering the wing. He snapped his knee, I think he did his knee. Yeah. Straight away, as soon as he got, he ended up with Ali Price on the wing, who was the sort of second choice Scottish scrum half out on the wing. So, with that, you, you're always going to find yourself behind the blue ball at least. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed watching them play. And uh, I think they've got to a stage that with Gregor taking over in the summer, they can continue to overachieve and win the big games. I just think they have to, Scottish fans have to reassess their benchmark of trophy winning to enjoying the big wins that they come, bloodying noises when they noses when they can, ruffling feathers, and occasionally having a shot at a big one, but the consistency of being at the very top just a numbers game. A pure numbers game. And with it, um, I hope the Scottish fans understand what they've done and how far they've come, what they've achieved, as opposed to typical don't go back to the old typical Scotland. So obviously England are yeah well good answer. Good shot about Scotland. Very nice to hear an Englishman be nice to Scotland for a change. That's certainly what I'm not. Well, obviously, England are 18 from 18 under, well, 17 from 17 under Eddie, but 18 on the spin in total. Um, we chatted earlier about 03, uh, and obviously the comparisons between the England team. You go back to 03, Eddie Jones was coaching Australia, wasn't he, in that World Cup final? Um, what did you think of him then, and what do you think of him now? It, it, it's one of those, Clive and Eddie in the old days, a bit of a verbal joust. Um, Eddie's had a couple of pot shots at a variety of different countries over the course of the last six weeks, six months. Um, as a player in 03, it was nothing that ever overly concerned us. Um, you don't win test matches in a newspaper, you don't um, influence games by what's being said in, in the small print on the back page of the sport. Uh, as a supporter, as a neutral, it makes fascinating read. I love the fact he's come out, Gordon, so I love the fact that he's come out and cramped up the pressure on his own team this week and said it's a World Cup final. Uh, and he just because he feels his players are ready and he wants to test them at that particular level. Um, he has an incredible rugby CV where it hasn't always worked. What I love about his experience um, and his accumulation of wealth in terms of knowledge, rugby wealth, his uh, eye on that. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be invited to camp four or five times. Training sessions are intensely short. I mean, it's, you'd love the modern era, do you? All I have is short. That's why I have. And it's uh, refreshing and it's different. And he keeps on their toes. He's, uh, someone asked me earlier, what's he done? He's cut out any discussion that affect the squad, so there's no more chat of Steph Armitage, Danny Cipriani's not discussed. Uh, he doesn't worry about sixes or sevens and what numbers on people's back. Um, he's gone with Ford and Farrell and he said he gave Burrell a go, but actually he's decided he's going to stick with two playmakers. 
Uh, a lot of people, as a Saracen, might have considered Alex Gould is a much more aesthetically pleasing rugby player. But Mike Brown is like Peter Schmeichel who can smack you. Um, you just can't. You, it, incredible. And, and the Celts, however much he irritates them, Mike Brown, because his ability to pick a fight in a monastery, <laughs> uh, you, have, you have to respect what he does as the last defender and as the last port of call and as the last diffuser of the aerial uh, bombardment that he'll get in, in, in Dublin. Um, and he's he's just got a really tight squad. He's a Victor captain that everyone would, might have touched with, wouldn't have touched with as best of us. Uh, he's backed him, uh, and he keeps backing him. And he got another band, and he said he's my captain. And he's come back because he's found a captain that's got a great way of jamming his players. There are it is their own story, but if you look at the sort of top lines, there are so many similarities between what's going on in this camp and what's going on a few years ago. And they are clearly focused on 19. They're clearly focused on making history back to back Grand Slam. But they absolutely know that the, the true definition of greatness in the modern era is a World Cup. And that's what they're not taking their eye off the ball for. And I think at the moment, if there was a World Cup now, they'd have a pretty good chance and they feel they can get better and better. Good answer. Um, Dars, Joe Smith as a character. Um, I actually heard through Brendan Macken, Irish uh, centre, who's playing at Wasps, that. He's a bit of a strange character. He was into cats. Is that right? But he has cats, a load of cats at home. He's got cats in his Who? car. Brendan? No, uh, Joe Smith. Is that just in, is that in no. contrast to, uh, to uh, Eddie Jones's dog? There you go. <laughs> similar. But what's he like? I mean, he seems from the outside a very so strict taskmaster. So from what, I, from what I can ascertain with the, the way Eddie Jones goes about his business, when you take away the media, when you kind of. So there, there is the personality you exude to the press and you have to do all the, the certain requirements to come with that and then there's what happens behind closed doors and Joe doesn't invite anybody into his training sessions it's very much he runs the show Eddie seems to be a little bit more open uh, bringing guys in but what happens in the training sessions with the players there's a huge amount of commonality between the two, the two coaches I think that's not surprising because they're both incredibly incredibly high work rate they both are very analytical and they both like being in control they like um, they like pressurising themselves um, but I think it's just in the media we see two very different uh, people uh, you think Eddie Jones to me is uh, much more of a strategist and is kind of taking, trying to take pressure off English players um, I kind of go let's focus on me you know we, we, bear, we you know, should have lost to Wales um, and he comes out and says oh mate we can't lose we're, we're that type of team and everybody focuses on Eddie Jones comment rather than the performance of the team in that game um, against Italy talks about uh, oh they didn't play in the spirit of rugby we haven't had a training session yet again taking pressure off his players and, that's, and that is part of being a head coach and that is about looking after your players and doing other, other bits and pieces where Joe Schmidt is very much he's very affable and he's very uh, amenable and um, he'll give a He'll give an answer that doesn't really give a huge amount of context into what he's trying to think, and he's very, um, I suppose, four four two in his answers. But that's not the guy. Once the door closes, that's not the guy that is walking down the corridor. Going back to the Eddie Jones thing with the Italy uh, tactics and saying, you know, it wasn't a game of rugby, get you asked your money back, etc. Where do you go? You've always experienced internationals, uh, and obviously all the fans out here. Um, you know, I was sad to come working for Talksport, and I've got some guy in a debenture seat that's. Paid a shed load of money for his tickets, shouting, screaming, going, he's bloody offside while well, he's got his red wine teeth going everywhere. <laughs> um, and I had to turn around and say, actually, they're not. Uh, you know, I, I thought, from my point of view, 
it was brilliant. But I thought Eddie Jones was a little bit disrespectful after the game in terms of how he put his point across about it to me. Um, well, you know, yeah, but, but for me, that that is just. Uh, Again, smoke and mirrors. It's like let's focus on me, Eddie Jones. I can take, um, I can take this flag. I can. I'm happy to talk about this in the media rather than say we weren't able to deal with uh, how it, how what Italy did in the first 30, 40 minutes. And to be fair, it is hard to just problem solve on the pitch. And so it's not like you have two minutes to stop and go, okay, well they're not going into the rook, so we're going to have you to go. You're going to do this. You're going to do this, and you're going to do this. You, you don't have that on the field time ability to just problem solve. You don't think? We we play the game. I mean I, I was But for yeah, something so dramatically unique like that. I mean the, the other thing that's uh, Gordon's obviously spot on about is is Eddie's totally focused on Rutgate and brought all attention to Rutgate, but actually the first three lineups or first two lineups didn't work. Anything you dropped the first pass he got. Discipline was the worst discipline we had in all game all season. Um, so, in fact, they're actually only about five or six rooks for it. It made a tangible difference to what was going on. The whole point of what he came out and talked about was it totally deflected from the fact that if you actually looked at England's performance in that first half against Italy, it was as bad as they've ever been. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't that they couldn't fix it. Everything else was going so badly wrong, they couldn't get any platform or pressure to be able to fix it. Because every time they got the ball, they gave it back. Or they did something that... Uh, created some point. They then came out in the second half, and yes, it was Italy, but and they went 31 points to five, I think, which was 10 5 half time, 36 10 final score, and they took control of it. And so it's just that ability let's talk about Rutgate, let's not talk about what we did in the first half. And it's, it's again part of uh, dic- what we always talk about dic- dic- Eddie dictates the terms of engagement, uh, doesn't allow anyone to set the agenda. He's straight in and, and he's setting it and it's, 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 it's fascinating to watch from an Italian perspective. I grew up in Italy and the first five years of my life, I'm always a slight apodite Italian. And the young ones are better girl than young and old, but they got to see it. Look at the child. 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 What I like is the part that Conor O'Shea's looked at it and um, they joined the Six Nations in 2000. They've beaten every other nation. Uh, they played 16, lost 16 against England. They are, I don't know how many games they played against England before they joined the Six Nations. They've never beaten England. And the definition of insanity is keep doing the same things and expect a different result. So he's got Brendan Venter in his camp now. Uh, they got caught out in the Ireland game. They got cuffed by Ireland by 60 odd, where Conor O'Shea came after the game and said that was awful refereeing. They were offside all game. They then actually identified the areas where they thought Ireland were offside. They said, actually, that's not offside. Brendan Bent has gone, that's what we'll do. They called it Il Volpe, the fox. Yep. So Gorin, the scrum half, was named the fox. He, so he got in the hole. Uh, and that's what he did. So Gorin was the master technician of that, uh, of that setup, of that plan. And they went to the referee on the Thursday and they said, this is what we're going to do. And Poit said, that's fine, but you do know we changed the rules two weeks ago, which is why Haskell was being ridiculed, but shouldn't have been ridiculed, because teams have started to use it, doing the sevens, the Chiefs have done it, Newport Great Dragons have done it with Nigel Owens, and referees thought it was on, so they put this one metre zone, so even though there's a tackle, there's no offside line until you compete the ball, but they created the referees in a quick amendment, created this one metre zone around the ball, which you can't go into. That's why... Gorey and Co and Parisi were stood there, almost playing like net basketball players, so you can't pass. If they, when they charged the kick down in the second half, they were penalised because they encroached into the 
into the, the, the shipping lane that you weren't allowed to go to. So they were told by the referee that they couldn't do what they wanted to do, so they had to go back and they had to plan, do we still do this? And they still, whatever you call it, have the, they roll the dice on it. And at 10-5 up at half-time, at 17-15 or 10-15 minutes to go, Italy got as close to beating in the Six Nations as they've ever done. As a national coach who's trying to win a game, to me, that's having a go, that's having a dig, and it's now up for everyone else to solve that problem if someone sets the same task. Well, I was doing that for 10 years and got red carded all the time. I was the same more applied. And you have that same look in your face, what, me? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but just on, on, on that point as well, what you have to do to win, like, Ireland beat New Zealand in Chicago, and then New Zealand come to Dublin and physically try to alienate every player on the pitch. The, 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 the tackles weren't even questionable. It was whether they glanced the shoulder as they were hitting players in the head. But that's what New Zealand felt they needed to do to win. And you know, we felt like we were you know, being pariahs in Ireland and, and talking about this and saying, well, listen, this, it wasn't refed. Um, and nobody else says it because it's well, it was the All Blacks. Italy do it, and it's suddenly oh well, that's against the spirit of rugby. It, to my view, New Zealand couldn't have been any further against the spirit of rugby. They didn't come to play against Ireland. They knew lose twice against Ireland and careers are on the line, and they played accordingly. And you know, and I, I, I think Conor Shea gets a certain amount of applause, uh, uh, and Brendan Vendor gets a certain amount of applause for that. Yeah, definitely. Just finishing what the Six Nations asked on you. Yeah. So if Ireland lose at the weekend on Paddy's week, such a big week, is Are it? We on tattoos and haircuts. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you shave your head and a tattoo. Is it a disaster for Ireland? Would you say? Uh, because from the outside looking in, I'd say it, it does. Look, I wouldn't say disastrous. It depends how you define that. But Joe Smith seems under a lot of pressure. It's a Lions year. A lot of these Irish players are banking on going on the Lions before a lot of them would have been shoo-ins. But to lose to England, for England to go on to win 19 games back-to-back in Ireland is going to be a huge statement. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities running through the, uh, the, the Six Nations here. So we're talking about maybe one of the reasons why Wales were able to get the win over Ireland was, as Will rightly touched on, the second game at home. And can they lose, um, can they lose that second game at, at, at home? Ireland are under, a lot of, are under a lot of pressure. Can they, you know, they've won, they won the other game at home, but... They need to finish this Six Nations with some sort of a, a palatable, palatable taste in their in their mouth. Is it a disaster for Ireland? Absolutely not. I think uh, again to echo what Will is saying about Scotland, that definitely transfers over to what Ireland are saying. We punch above our weight. We're the fourth choice um, participating sport in in Ireland. We have 140 professional players in Ireland. Contextually, where we are, what we do, the strength and depth. We have one of the best coaching tickets. In, um, in in potentially in the world, we're definitely in the top three coaching tickets there. Um, eating bread is soon forgotten, and that and that is really and I struggle with that because um, November we were equating ourselves to number one in the world because we beat the All Blacks, and now the competition we play in the standard has risen dramatically. I don't think we have fallen off dramatically, but we haven't say increased at the same rate as everybody else. And now people are saying it is potentially a disaster. Sport is like that. You look at Wales. Wales, sometimes they're up. Next year, they're terrible. And then the next year, they win a Grand Slam. There's a good group of players in here. We've got a good coaching ticket. He is bringing young guys through. We can see that. He's bringing them through. There is definitely an eye on the World Cup. But move that all aside. This is Ireland versus England. And Will and I have been in this game. 
uh, Goody Weaving in this game, it, it, it almost, you forget about what's happening. It's a game within a game within a game. It is, it's a brilliant match to be involved in. So I've got very rarely lost England, so well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think once, once in about ten years. Yeah, I was just going to put you up on that point because um, yeah, going talking about England Ireland, um, every time Ireland played England and I was on the on the field for, for England, we never fucking won. So uh, the Irish would have been happy. But I do go back to 1998. I don't even remember this. Uh, myself and Gordon are the same age. You wouldn't believe it. Um, he's aged really well. I haven't. Um, the only time I ever beat Ireland was. England schools against Ireland schools, and you were playing the centre. No, we said fullback. Oh, you fullback, were you? Yeah, you really did rip it up, yeah? Shaving head then, didn't you? Funny enough, I was actually your size when we were. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to that. I was going to get to that. Our, our careers have gone the wrong way, because I, you wouldn't believe it, but I used to be a fair bit skinnier, and there was this kid at fullback who, you had a shaved head, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he absolutely, you know, he was a chubby little fat fella, and he absolutely tore it up. Um, and we were like, oh, who was that kid afterwards? And then I see you a few years later, obviously, tearing up for Ireland, slim, uh, ripped to smithereens, looking good. Um, I've gone the other way. Um, I did drop a goal that day to win the game, I think, at Stourbridge. And that's the only time I've ever been Ireland. Look what you show in the old, I think. I think. <laughs> <laughs> he still has a VHS at home. With <laughs> <laughs> Kids, come on here. We want to see Daddy beating be Ireland. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Um, Obviously, you guys are fantastic rugby pundits. Um, I know, Gordon, you're covering the game at the weekend for ITV. Um, you know, just talk to us about how you think the game will go, honestly, from a pundit's perspective, but also, you know, two centres that have, haven't played with Will and played against you a lot of the time. You are two of the best tactical brains in terms of guys that I play with and against. Um, yeah, tell, me, tell, tell the fans how you think the game will go and, and uh, you know, how many England will win by <laughs> um, so England you can only beat what's in front of you and I thought uh, Ford and Farrell absolutely picked apart Scotland's uh, midfield defence it all came off um, set piece either between actually majority of it off line outs um, two, two tries from mauling and then just three tries from just running up the middle and then Nathan Hughes picking the ball up even though he's in front of the ball but you know, we, we won't argue about uh, we won't argue about uh, uh, semantics. Um, they didn't create a huge amount. Well, they didn't need it because they were scoring off a, a first phase, but they didn't create a huge amount of um, of phase play. Um, I don't think Ireland are going to give them that freedom of set piece. I think they'll be a lot tighter in that. If you can break down that forward Farrell axis, you you mentioned Mike Brown and outside of Ford and Farrell, they have. Joseph, they have Noel, they have who, whoever they, they're all they're all strike players, and they are just feeding off what Ford and Farrell give them, and it and it is brilliant to watch as a centre. We've you know we've talked about this before, carrying the ball in two hands, the ability to straighten, fix players, make good decisions. It's really really simple, but these guys do it so well, and they are strike runners hungry for the ball off. You saw Joseph come back in; he needed a big game. Tio played well against it. These guys come in and they are just brilliant to uh, to watch. If you asked me this three months ago or four months ago, I would have said Ireland will win this game. I now just feel there's this sense of self-belief in this organisation and in this team that can withstand whatever onslaught comes their way. What we're absolutely guaranteed is it's not 61-21, um, it's not 42-6 from a long time ago. Um, this is barbaric, brutal, epic, and don't leave the stadium early. 
for Clayton Guinness or London Pride. <laughs> they Although they're very good drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks very much for that, guys. So we're just going to move on. We've had a couple of questions. Well, we've had a few questions from the audience via social media, but also from the floor. I'm not going to say who they are, just in case they've not turned up. So a couple of fun ones. So, Will, I didn't know this, apparently Brian O'Driscoll and Austin Healy had a boxing match. Am I right in saying that? Did you go to it? Who won? I uh, hope, hope Adrico uh, smashed him, yeah? Lions Tour, uh, 2001, Manic Pacific Hotel, beautiful hotel, big glass windows, works out on the seafront, and a fitness guy called Steve Black, who worked a lot with Joy Wilkinson. Uh, always had a, a crack, cracking phase, I never quite understood it. It's sprint! And now accelerate! I think smashing 10 battles of shit out of each other all year in such a quick space of time for the success that they're going to that you guys have had online stores in the past for these guys going to New Zealand they're going to have to have that camaraderie straight away is it difficult or not? I'm not sure what success you're you know, I was in 2005 which you is wait, the biggest cluster fuck ever <laughs> um, but that is the that is the challenge in the Lions and I'm really glad for the franchise and for for what it is that they won in Australia, uh, in the on the last tour because it potentially was getting becoming so hard from the northern hemisphere to put these players to get together. You see the amount of times how uh, attritional the Premiership is and the Pro Twelve and 
I, I know the say the Irish players are, are rest with the international, but then they play it. They don't get as injured as much. They play the season is so long in the Northern Hemisphere. You're trying to amalgamate these four teams together. Like you look at the schedule this year, and the guys who are in the uh, Premiership final are going to miss the first two weeks of tour. You you got to say Owen Farrell is going to be in that final, barring injury, is going to be an integral part of the Lions tour and misses two weeks of it. You know, how does how do you get players to to together traditional way which you know we all uh, would have resonated with is uh, we go out in a piss and uh, <laughs> break down a few barriers and, uh, and and have a bit of crack but is that the way to do it anymore it is okay oh yes it is <laughs> <laughs> oh no just bring some black hair with you and you can fly <laughs> But it is a challenge. I do think this is. Whenever you look at the Lions team, and again, this fucking pains me to say it, when England are strong, the Lions are strong. Um, when there's a good backbone of English players in there, they have the biggest resources in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, they have the biggest player pool. When these guys are playing, playing on confidence, and you have a good caliber of those guys playing, the Lions are invariably, invariably strong. Um, you have to say, I mean, the question with the England 15, almost as you would be, which one of the England 15 isn't going on the last tour? Still on Harkey. No chance. Lions captain. No chance. Anyway. <laughs> we, I think the, the it's called a pod podcast for some unknown reason um, today, but we don't have enough time to cover to cover, to cover that off. But no, listen. Um, so you sit on the fence and you you are saying not one English player. Should we should just pick fifteen English players? Shouldn't we? Or are you going to sit on the fence that much? <laughs> on the spot now, wouldn't it? Well, I would say it is a hard. It's hard not to pick a lot of them. Having this conversation, like England got four second rows that could all tour. Yeah. You know, where do you put Mario Toji? Is he actually a six? Is he uh, a five and a half? Like, where, like, where do you go? I do think Ty Furlong is ahead of a lot of props. So when you're talking about maybe into the starting 15, like there's going to be 40, 45 players used on this tour. Um, but I think New Zealand are as beatable as they have been in a lot of years. And they finally, the Richie McCall, Dan Carter shadow has finally, they've stepped out from behind that. And initially it was very positive, but now I think they are not standing as tall as they necessarily were. And the, the leadership capability, and this is one thing you cannot, one of the things I think England, why England were so successful in 2003 was the leadership they had. And you go right the way through Martin Johnson, you have Neil Bark and Richard Hill, who for me probably one of the most unsung players in the history of rugby. An incredible leader. You had Delalio, you had this Bellend, you had <laughs> Johnny, you had Johnny Wilkinson. This is a podcast, so he was pointing at Andy Goo. <laughs> <laughs> the leadership qualities that England had in that thing. When you get into that intense, intense pressure zone, a World Cup final. Extra time, that's when players are in their stripes. And you've Matt Dawson, you've all, all these guys in that. Do New Zealand have that quality of leadership now at this stage in their development? Potentially, may, maybe not. Like you had Dan Carter, you had Richard Cole. Richard Cole spent his whole career offside. 
But because he was from abroad, he never got penalised. Dan Carter is just great. Players have time on the ball, and I, I actually had I, I lucky had sorry I had the pleasure of playing with Will, who was actually a guy I watched when I was uh, when I was a kid growing up, and we played together on the Lions on the Lions tour. When he was talking about uh, Steve Black, and he was saying like, sprint. I think he was taking the piss out of you because you had two speeds, stop and go. Right? Stop and slow. Stop and slow. But what you had is that, you, one thing, and to pay you a compliment, is you had what Owen Farrell and uh, George Ford have, is the ability to create space for other players. And that is something that, and I played 13 with you, and it was a pl brilliant to play in that because I could just, you just see what you're doing and then you just follow it in. Like what, um, Jonathan Joseph did uh, at the weekend. George, um, I was actually Andy Farrell, just takes it a little out in line, holds the ball on the inside, and then just leaves it in space, and Jonathan Joseph goes into it. We did that against Auckland. was actually playing against Easton and Siwa. Uh, Joe Rocococo, just dropped a few names here, played against some celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> and we turned them inside out in that game. And, and that, that can't be lost, and we're reminiscing of 2005. But um, I, I think New Zealand are MVP people at the moment, and question is how do you get the best team and how do you get them blended together nice so obviously on the rugby pod podcast for guys that listen to it we like a tall story jack and ori jim here tells a great story um you two boys have been lions tourists will three times yeah uh you twice Gordon. yeah twice so obviously the lions tour is about bonding with jim asked the question about getting the beers and stuff like that uh will you'll be out there with with sky sports uh, covering the whole trip. Best stories from the Lions are probably come from the security guys. But the same thing yeah, security guys uh, down the course of the years. And they'll tell you that it's got increasingly more, increasingly safe. In 97, if you're on the Wednesday team, you drank from Wednesday until Monday. <laughs> on the Saturday team, you drank from Saturday until Thursday. If you're on the bench, you were fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, as I remember, it made the living with Lions video, tequila slammers, that's, that's, that's what touring in those days all about. You talk to the security guards now, and it's the players who go and get the security guards out of the, bit, uh, the box. Because they've got no one to look after because of the mentality and understanding of the players, that what makes them tick and what makes them better. Um, we had some great, great trips. And uh, I always tell this that I, well, it, was, it may not have quite been 90 minutes, but I always tell the story about how you can tell how the Welsh spend their long, dark, lonely nights in the South Wales Valleys um, on Lions Tours, because you get to spend seven, eight weeks abroad with them. And uh, we were in Christchurch, we were doing a community day, and Gareth Thomas and Stephen Jones were on the back of the bus, and they are awesome people, aren't they? Gareth Thomas and Stephen are just lovely, lovely men. From the moment the key turned on to the moment the key turned off, they had a 90 minute argument about whether Batman could or could not fly. To be fair to them, they came up and they said, actually, he's a man with special powers, but he can only glide. <laughs> I thought it was a good result for 90 minutes of heated debate. So, just quickly, um, one thing that we haven't actually talked about, I'm really interested this weekend talking about going back, jumping back to the England Island game. Um, Andy Farrell. Ireland defensive coach, his son Owen, England inside centre superstar, as someone said. I think it's going to be the first time he's ever coached against his son, and vice versa. Um, which will, you know, your dad obviously uh, coached England, etc., etc. 
I mean, how difficult is that going to be? Because uh, you know, I'm still shit scared of my dad now. Most important things the intellectual answer that I can tell you what it was like with my dad. Um, old school, couple of stories you always had. Uh, because there's a country that at the moment there's HIAs and head injury assessments going on all the time. And um, my old man in the old days, they, they had all these computer systems now, don't they, which, which test whether you're fit enough to take the field again, doctor's assessment. In the old days, if you got concussion, it was three week, three week mandatory ban. So the one thing my old man always used to say to me, I'm not sure this is the father thing says, you never leave the field with concussion. <laughs> hey, I'm not quite sure how you know if you've been playing. In Bloemfontein, I've got a swing tackle, sleeve, straps, touch me on, whip round, smash my head, unconscious for 17 minutes, swallow my tongue. Dr. James Robson thought I was going to die. Always, every time he runs up in Scotland, I'd raise a little glass to, to, to Robbo, who's been the last doctor on the last seven minutes talk. Amazing man. He was going to give you a tracheotomy. Mum's in the change room. It's all in the living room. Lines. William, William, what have you done? It's what all my mates say when I'm being out of behaviour. William, William, what have you done? Coming out his seven minutes talk. Anyway, jump in the ambulance. Only room for one. Dad jumps in with me. Still unconscious. No idea what's going on. I'm up to 17 minutes. I think I'm dying. And something in the back of the head is reminding me from Grange over sounds of the old caravan trips we used to go on as family. The dad would teach me rugby, talk about contact, do some rugby, that never leave the field concussion. It bolts up, it's absolutely what I said. My dad, he says, he'll be talking about his story when he dies on our deathbed. We'll be laughing about this particular, you know, with the lap or crap. I said, bolt upright on the gurney on the way to hospital and swallow my tongue and being unconscious for 17 minutes, understand that you never leave the field with concussion. I said, bolt up, I said, dad, dad. Tell him it's my hamstring. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, so just a round of applause, please, for the two legends. A big, a big thank you to uh, London, London Pride in Guinness. Put the event on for us. Round of applause. And uh, so just got a definition of uh, Melosa. Ah, they worked very hard. So it is. <laughs> there you go. There's a rough reference to it. Uh, me and Goody don't need a round of applause, but if you want to download the Rugby Pod on iTunes, you can find it. I think it's number six in the charts. Yeah, let's get it out. Yeah, we'll do, share it, tweet it, and this should be on there. But thanks very much for coming. It's been a great evening. Um, enjoy the rest of it. Thank you very much. Coming, Melodious. Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. <laughs> <laughs>